All right. Hello and welcome to everyone that is tuning in. Perhaps some of you live, some of you listening over the podcast as it will be sent out through Dollars and Dragons. It'll be all over the interwebs. Uh, and here we are now to answer your many, many questions about the Vineyard RPG. If you do have questions while we are chatting and something comes up, the benefit of being live here, and we'll do another one of these at some point before the Kickstarter launch and you know throughout our development of the book, is that you can put your little questions or your big questions into the thread in hashtag the dash vineyard, and you go to the AMA thread and you will be able to ask those burning questions Dot, I'm going to turn it over to you. I have not given you a lot of prep work, <laughs> but I know that you can do it. Okay, well, it seems super relevant for us to introduce who's actually joining us from the team for the chat today. So instead of me starting, I'm going to actually just pass it down the line to VJ, and then VJ, you can pass it to Nat. Uh, yeah, hey, everybody. Uh, my name is VJ Harris. My pronouns are they, them, and he, him. And I am a freelance TTRPG designer and pro GM, and I'm one of the writers and designers for the Vineyard, uh, mostly stat blocks and a little bit of a adventure design here and there. Uh, Nat, hi, I'm Nat, also a freelance designer. All pronouns are they and he. Um, and I've been designated the lead mechanical designer on Vineyard. I'm really excited to help steward the conversion of this thing as we've rocketed through uh, <laughs> into the Black Flag project. I'm really excited for that. Nice. Um, I'm Dot, everybody. Uh, I, I, by day, am the marketing director for Cobalt Press, and by night, I do a lot of different freelance work for the tabletop community at large, um, including writing for this project. Um, I was just announced as world designer for the new Fallout RPG book from Odiphius, so um, world design is has a very uh, great place in my heart. And I'm excited that Friday let me bring some of those ideas to this project. And Friday, just in case, uh, I don't know who you are. I mean, you know, <laughs> Linda Codega knows who I am now. So, I mean, I'm fucking famous. You know what I mean? Well, then so, you don't um, have to introduce yourself. I mean, I guess I'll just ask right on by. No, that's fine. Um, So, I'm Friday. Uh, You can find me is Friday TV on Twitter. That's where most people follow me. I also have the newsletter and the podcast you're listening to currently. So, if you'd like to get these sort of things to your inbox, then you can hit the subscribe on the Dollars and Dragons newsletter. I put out both blog posts for professional GMs, uh, helping everyday people make a little bit more money uh, so that they can, you know, survive capitalism by doing something that they love. And that's one of my primary missions uh, with my platform is to do that. But I'm also the director of this book, and uh, I have written quite a bit of it. Uh, it first came to be as a homebrew campaign that I developed for my players uh, for a stream, you know, two years ago now. I started this project of about a year ago, um, and some of these lovely individuals who are joining me today are those people who agreed to, you know, write a little bit of gothic horror with me. And I'm so excited to, first of all, be this far into the stage of production. And I'm incredibly humbled by the immensely powerful team that has assembled under the banner. Yes, the, the, the flag is waving very high today for Black Flag. Um, and I will say, if you're in chat listening live and have questions about Project Black Flag and its a kind of uh, implementation into this project, I will answer what I can answer from a Cobalt Press side of things. Uh, and then I'll, I'll drop my, my you know, vineyard, drop that hat and put on my vineyard hat of when questions are relevant there. So we will, we will do our best, but just know the, the rumors are true. Yes, uh, Dot not only is the marketing director for Cobalt Press, but is one of our writers and someone who has written 
entire areas that I have entrusted to Dot because I <laughs> know how fucking weird and fucked up that Dot can write like weird stuff. So look, y'all, um, I had to ask, like when I submitted to Bethesda, even I was like, is this going to be too much? Like for a Fallout yeah. setting? And they were like, maybe. So yeah, it gets a little, <laughs> my worlds get a little scary, but that's one of the things I loved when you pitched the project Friday is that it like, it, it is an unforgiving place. Okay. Um, and let's just, we'll start with like some of the questions that you have. Assembled yeah. So we'll, it seems we'll that, uh, just looking through, so we had some questions posted, it looks like, um, over the last few days, we'll start there and then we can always take live questions. But a lot of these questions are really about influence, inspiration, right? We have things around like what kind of literary elements, right? Are influential in this, um, we've got what kind of songs would you put on a playlist? It seems that people are really interested in what has inspired this to come around. Um, Yeah. So I guess that's a question for me then. Uh, so I would say that for me, I have always been very interested in mobster movies <laughs> and I've also been interested in a lot of the lore and the sort of interesting horror media and i have always been looking for a way to combine those two things so the vineyard initially was just one of the organizations that i developed when i was developing a homebrew setting and it ended up sort of being the most interesting thing that the players were interacting with that and the cult of chia Gaidat, who is the dragon alternate component of that uh sort of dynamic mm. But the, um, which is the the next book, uh, which I have not yet announced or began, begun to build. But um, there's a next book, Friday. News to me. <laughs> yeah, of course there is. Like, come yeah, on. Yeah, look now. to the like, future. This is, but anyway, yeah. So initially it was, for me, it was something in between like corporate capitalism mm -hmm. and mobster movies. And then also... <laughs> I wanted some gothic horror in there as well, because near and dear to my heart. And if you're in the Discord and you see me uh, in my profile picture, which is my vampire player character that I played for Cobalt Press's stream, Empire of the Ghouls, I'm super into it. Like, I'm a queer, so, like, that's it's a big part of, like, my inspiration is sort of queer-inspired horror. For me, That those are the major elements. And then a lot of it also came from my initial players, um, from... The development of the vineyard and a lot of the inspirations initially before I took all those inspirations and I gave it to the writers at large, mm -hmm. a lot of it came from uh, them as well. And I just knowing what they would like to play <laughs> and sort of developing around them so that they could have the most fun possible when we had that, like, I think it was about 18 sessions. We had a campaign um, that I ran that show for. Right. Um, yeah. Now I think you say that you passed off things because that's what happens, right? Your project grows and you have to bring on a team of people. Yeah. What did, how did, what does that process look like to take like a, an idea and then pass it off and to, to the right people, hopefully, um, to, to kind of put their inspiration in? Well, initially it started because I once had a dream <laughs> of developing this story into something a bit more, this whole setting. And I ended up looking at who are the writers that I really admire their work on. And I was looking through Wizards books and I had opened up Icewind Dale Room the Frostmaiden and I was like looking at people's names on the writing list. And I just started Googling them. And I, you know, ended up finding people like uh, Ashley Warren and like uh, Michaela Ebel, um, who goes by M now. And I just looked at their website and saw that they offered consulting. And I was like, I should email this person 
and ask them some questions about how to improve both my show and my narration, my narrative design for this adventure. And I ended up connecting with M by hiring them as a contractor to come in and just give me critique on mm. like what I was doing with my story for the stream and looking at future planning with them. And after that, I was sort of in contact with M uh, throughout that year. It was 2021 at the time. And then we ended up working together on One Night Straw briefly. And then I pitched to them like, hey, I can't think of someone better suited to work on this project than you, M, because I, when we worked together for the consulting and like they were helping me with sort of designing my adventure, M is so smart. M is so smart and capable. And I have always been incredibly impressed with M as a professional as well. Despite them being so young, it's just amazing what M is able to accomplish. They're so immensely, not only like talented, but skilled and professional. And I knew that when I asked M questions, they were coming back to me with something that they had actively thought through in a very conscious way. And then also from a place of inspiration. Mm, mm -hmm. And M was my first person that I worked with that I knew that if I can get M on the team, if I can convince them that this is a good idea, then I can bring in more very talented people to work with me on this idea. So it really started with me just trying to convince like the first co-creator right. that was that was M. Yeah. Now, speaking of some of those talented folks you brought on, VJ and Nat, the same question, like, you know, with the pieces and parts you've been handed and what you're specifically working on, what kind of inspiration are you drawing from to add to to the Vineyard Project? Uh, you want to take this first, VJ? Yeah, I'll take it. Um, so uh, I'm not I have, not, I have nothing against uh, mob movies or anything. Uh, mm -hmm. They've never been my cup of tea, but I have like. <laughs> started watching them a little bit more just to get the vibe from yeah. like the stat blocks and stuff. I'm a big video game person. Like I'll I'll devour just about any type of video game. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I definitely think has been like in my mind as we're like building out these different uh, these different stat blocks, the gothic horror element of it is really trying to um embody like the kind of vibe you get from the game vampire with a with a mm -hmm. Y at the end. Mm -hmm. So it's got a lot of like vampires obviously and like other non-vampiric monsters as well and have definitely like at the very least use the vibes to direct how I how I make things like I've got the whole vampire playlist going whenever <laughs> I'm like working on design by myself but yeah definitely a lot of and okay there are other like vampire medias that I like like Blade and Dracula 3000 those kinds of things consuming a lot of that mm -hmm. to just <laughs> make sure my head's in the right place nice when I got brought on one of the first things we talked about was an adventure we were working for it. And we were talking about the different types of horror we wanted to express with the different uh, portions of Vineyard. So what I latched, latched onto was this kind of more cosmic survivalist horror connected to the gut in this mm -hmm. rotting, destructive, creeping aspect to it. And one of the first things I did, because I'm, I'm like all vibes when it comes to like a generation, is I put down this little, I just did a big brainstorm of myself and come up with all these wild, wacky, weird creatures that are like, you know, like, like what, what if the guts got a parasite oh. and then it spread to you? What do you become? Like, that's the kind of question I like to ask. What are these horrific movements 
that can create a story of anguish within a creature. Because that's what I brought on brought, brought on for at first was creature design. Mm-hmm. Um, and but that is also it's also all vibes. Like within that same brainstorming document, I wrote Azure something. It's a word that belongs in this here somewhere. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't know what that ha- that nothing has been made of that yet. But I'll get there. Uh, and generally speaking, I am just an absolute junkie for cosmic horror stuff. Um, I like things to get big and voidy and have a, a depth of darkness that is unfathomable. Mm. And I have a lot of experience applying that in a realistic way to TTRPGs because I think we all know that if you just say that something is unimaginably uh, terrifying, it just does nothing for your players. You right. have to ground it somehow, right? I love that. Um, and, and honestly, when when Friday brought me on, I was also drawn I to the void. I have this love of the thing we kind of, this cosmic idea of the things we can't possibly understand. Um and, yeah. and put like word and meaning to and I was drawn to that as well and so when I started designing t- two very specific things uh, which is mechanics piece that's coming into the game which we can talk about actually that is based on the rot this ever changing kind of corruption if you would um, and so I wanted to look at and that came from a few games that I had been playing and a, a few influences and um, I, I when I started down that road it can be tricky right uh, to put in a mechanic for your players to take on a some kind of um corruption and so uh, i wanted to look at how other games were doing it and so i can actually say i pulled uh, a lot of inspiration from coriolis which comes from free league of course um a game called good strong hands which is heavily based kind of on the concept of like dark crystal or these 80s mystic mist like you know um spaces and then um of course you know uh, uh, Fate of Cthulhu, uh, which is a fate-based Cthulhu game, which has its own kind of um, build for corruption. I started looking at these and digging around like what I liked and, and what does it actually mean to be here? Because if you are in the rot, you are either part of it or you are the problem. You are the virus in the rot. And it's trying so hard to make you a part of what it is. Uh, and I really wanted that to to have a mechanic in a way that was optional for a table uh, to take on or to completely leave behind and still get the same experience, right, one way or the other. Uh, we did come up with with some really fun things, I think, there that I look forward to seeing what you, what you all think about it. Um, but honestly, the other part mm-hmm. of why I came on was because I, too, have big feels around uh, big business and consumerism. And the other piece I'm writing is a, is a location actually in 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 the vineyard connected, um, you know, that is a dark market, a literal dark market. Uh, and one of the things I'm really enjoying about it is the fact that it is not you're not going to be able to trade what you normally would here, right? You can't. Your gold means nothing. It is not valuable. So what do you trade to get what you need? And sometimes the the things that you may need have to come from from this place or be traded from this place. And so both. Uh, the lieutenant I'm creating uh, is tied to the dark market, and the dark market itself is tied to the larger corruption system uh, that I've been working on uh, that we're calling waste sickness. Um, it's a mouthful. Uh, yeah, so we're calling waste sickness tied to the rot. Um, uh, that's kind of where I came from, and I too, I love every genre of horror, but I particularly like sci-fi horror. And so I was really looking forward to how can I take that cosmic aspect that I love of horror and bring it into kind of this this dark fantasy, this gothic horror as we have uh, already defined. So um, that's kind of where my head was at when I came into this project. Um, now that being said, there are some questions about right. how some of your design, VJ and Nat, and even Friday, uh, the rule system, right? What did you consider before cementing ideas, right? 
right? Um, how how do how does that process? What does that process look like to be? And obviously, nothing's cemented. We're early, right? There's always change happening. But how do you go about it? What does it look like to define um, you know new rules rules or systems uh, to put in place for this? So I, you know, I am pretty blessed on the team, being that I most of the time my job is just. I show up and be like, and I ask someone else, hey, can you make this like this? I'm like the ideas guy. I'm the annoying ideas guy on the team some of the time. And I'm just like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, this happened? Oh, that'd be so dope. Okay, let me know how it goes. And then I just leave. <laughs> <laughs> That's most of Dude, my role. It's not untrue. <laughs> yeah, it's so I, that, you know, hey. I try to help, but sometimes, you know, there are people that are better at it than me, which is why, like, for instance, like, I do narrative and I have mechanical people, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I do a little bit of mechanics, but a lot of the time, um, especially working with uh, both Nat and VJ who are here, uh, I I watch what they're doing. I see where their idea is going. And then I make a little comment and be like, wouldn't it be cool if <laughs> dot, dot, dot. And then usually I get a response and I don't know if this is like them just trying to make me feel good. I normally get a response like, Hey, that sounds like a good idea. You know, I got, I guess I got to temper that feeling. Um, Nat, you want to, you want to start right. it off? So I was just saying like, cause the original question is like, what kind of rule stuff do you yeah. consider at first? And I think one of my, the foundational ideas I try to bring forward into anything when I'm creating for a system that's already present and no matter where we were in, in vineyards uh, history, we were creating for some sort of system that already existed. It just, which one changed, right? <laughs> um, and one of the things I start with is this concept of minimal addition. Mm. You want to see the minimum new, like full-fledged ideas you can put into the system to still acquire your idea. It's why I almost always suggest, I almost always ask if a class could be a subclass instead. What's the minimum we can add to it? Mm -hmm. You don't want to add an entire extra tower when you just need to build some scaffolding. Yeah, for sure. I love that. It's uh, a great. It's a great uh, design like theory. You know. Yeah, and it carries through for whatever design we're working on. So at one point, if if it's okay if I pull back the curtain slightly, we were considering uh, making Vineyard as using the resistance toolkit based on the Spire RPG. And I at one point went through the entire thing and went, okay, what would we have to make? What what do we not have to make? And concepted out, you know, the theory of hundreds of pages, not hundreds, <laughs> like a hundred pages, um, and just to see what it looked like and like how little we could get away with and what the different pathways, you know, like if we if we do X and Y, that'll be 40 pages. But if we tr want to circumvent this part of the rules and build our own, that's going to add another 20. Is that worth it? Mm -hmm. So that cost benefit analysis is a really important component. This is why I uh, brought on Nat onto the team, because... They're thinking about. Yes, I love that. What about you? <laughs> what about you, VJ? When it comes to kind of uh, working on these uh, mechanics. Well, I'm in the same boat, but I think I start my process off differently. I actually like. I um usually what'll happen is um I'll start like plotting out all of the like if I don't already know that oh there's a mechanic that or there's a monster that does it like this so I can just pull an example from that if I like I. I think I have like a wealth of knowledge on that. If I don't already know what it is, I'll just start like building out what I think the mechanic should look like, like the bare bones of it. And then when I'm in a place where I'm like, okay, I could pass this draft off to Friday and get feedback on it. I then go searching in like a bunch of different places to be like, okay, has anyone else done this? Is Am I missing something from the 5e stuff? 
um, any of our, any of my like contemporaries <laughs> done it, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. definitely, yeah. And I, I like doing it that way because it also is a, it's good to like refine your abilities. Uh, it's good to refine your knowledge around like thinking back and like, okay, the Tarrasque does this yes. and it could mirror this. So I can just take that like that. Like it's yep. good to hone that, but it's also really great to like work out your mind in other creative ways by just coming up with brand new things. Even if you're not, even if they're not going to like get in, like they're not going to get past the cutting board, like you'll have to throw them out, but it's still like uh, what I like to think is what makes me the kind of designer that I am. So it's very much a like, okay, I know this already exists here. I'm not sure about this. Let's build it out in a rough draft and then let's go do some more research yeah. to see if I just need to l- use it for somewhere else. It's funny. I, I yeah. got really lucky when um, I got to kind of pick what I wanted to write because part of what I got to choose was the new stuff. <laughs> and Friday and I kind of talked about that, right? Like um, I got a little bit of these are this is something we want, right? Like we wanted this this system, this new kind of um, a st- really it's like upping the stakes for the players right because this this is not like every other place the vineyard it's not it doesn't even function the same and so why would your existence here be that and so when i got to write this you know the section on the guts and really what the guts are uh and then i got to write a system which was kind of cool um and i actually too work a little bit like nat right um I, I'm like, how can I do this based on what is already there in a way that is either completely system agnostic so you can slap this on anything you want um, and, it, and it works not really um, right. Sometimes we think compatibility means one to one. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about this when we get to the Project Black Flag questions, which I promise everybody I will do my best to answer. But compatibility doesn't always mean one to one. Compatibility more often than not means parallel, it means it can work in the same path as as it, but it can also you know, uh, veer off and be its own thing. It's standalone. And so when I developed uh, the waste sickness and the system in which really is its own currency of the game, this its own commentary, this mechanic is on what are you willing to give up? Because the guts will take everything from you. So I wanted the system where it wasn't just the players, but also the GM, right? The the game master gets an opportunity to also have their own in-game currency that they get to spend to make the, the stakes of the story higher. And then those things between the two, the players and the GM, can then be traded in certain ways. So you can take things from the GM's pool of this, this corruption currency, this, you know, uh, sickness, uh, and players can take it on in these amazing ways that aren't really about affecting your stats in whatever system you're playing on. It's not about your dexterity getting less or y- your body uh, crumbling away. It's mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. more about uh it's more about your moment. You can actually as a player take on a moment in the game where you say, "Yes, I will take that sickness on if I get to solve this problem in a narrative way." And then that sickness just becomes part of your existence. It doesn't change your stats necessarily. It's a cosmetic issue. Uh in that case, right? And yeah. how you solve it, maybe you don't solve it, maybe you keep it, but there's only so much of that rot that you can take in before you're not really yourself anymore. And so, again, it is an optional mechanic to add to the game, but it really provides these wonderful back and forth stakes. And so when I came into this, I said, I have, I want to do this this way, but I need to do it simply. I have to slice off all the extra and get to the like the core of what I'm trying to do here, um, which is really just like having a token at the table where the GM has it and then it goes back to the player. The player can write back and forth. Um, and it just because it's own trade. So it's simple and it doesn't have to have a system, but if it does, it can be very impactful by giving you extra roles or these kinds of things. So we have a few other questions we've not quite 
asked yet, and I think it's really important here, actually, Friday, for you to maybe define for us what the structure of the vineyard looks like, because this question is, I think, actually very important. So can players take over the organization via climbing ranks, betraying lower ranking members of the vineyard? So explain to everybody why it might be that that could be possible, and then if it is or not. Yes, absolutely, it is possible. And there are three major narrative pathways and mechanical pathways that we will be supporting for every character. And that is one, the typical, and I'm just going to use this framework because everyone's familiar with it, because all of us are familiar with Dungeons and Dragons, or most of us. Uh, There's the lawful evil route, which is you're going to join the vineyard and you're going to gain power through the vineyard. And that would be considered a lawful evil route. And then we have a system that supports, if you wish to go the chaotic route, um, and that would be moving down the path of really embracing the chaos of the guts and wasting sickness and utilizing those things as weapons to be an agent of chaos. And then there is the route that you can take narratively to defend your community and remain human, essentially, while the other two routes are not human. But being human would be more of like a neutral route uh, between the three of them, whereas the uh, the vineyard route or the chaos route are generally more bent on destruction uh, based on the narrative that we have presented. Not that chaos always has to be destructive, <laughs> but in the way that we've constructed uh, the wasting sickness and the guts themselves, that is how they function. Um, as far as the way that you might climb the ranks in the vineyard, Everything is done through contracts. And I believe Kimchi will be by later to join us. Oh, nice. I would love for him for him to talk about this, but he's uh, he's putting his kids down. <laughs> uh, great, great father, by all accounts, I believe. Um, but uh, the way that you deal with the vineyard is through contracts. And everything costs something. Mm-hmm. So if you are seeking something from the vineyard, you're seeking some money, you're seeking some power, you're seeking a means to an end. It's going to cost you something in the form of a contract. And you're going to owe the vineyard something. And most of that owe, owing of the vineyard or that debt that you have to the vineyard is going to be an action, meaning that you have to do something for them. Mm. And that's most of what they want. They want you to work for them. Everything that the vineyard has in its goal set and its like model for the future is absorbing as much power as possible, absorbing secrets, absorbing people. Instead of killing people, the vineyard is looking at having more people work for them. And if you haven't fulfilled your debt, you will continue working for them after you've Mm. died. So then that begs the question, uh, a few Mm -hmm. other things that have come through, such as what's your favorite part of character creation in this regard for the vineyard system? Do we have special character creation options? I think at this point, we have developed one unique uh, type of character, and it falls within the lineage sort of area. We are looking at creating Whisperborn, which are at this point, and this is something that uh, Nat, you are the primary designer on, so you can speak more <laughs> to this if you'd like. Or you feel comfortable talking about this? Yeah, sure. So this one w- was done. Um, this is original narrative design from original narrative design from Kana Shaw, and then I walked in, read everything about her narrative notes, and synthesized it into some mechanics. Um, and these are individuals that are born from a secret. Oh, that's so like, cool. Quite literally, there is a secret that is given to them that nobody else gets to know. If anyone else ever does learn it, besides their like patron god, they die. They unravel and die. So remember what I said about minimum <laughs> uh, design edition? Well, we had to. Ri- I did have to write a mechanic for that. Like, if the Whisperborn's secret gets out there, they die, and they can't get resurrected unless 
a new secret is offered mm. up. And that new secret is offered up is then erased from the mind of the person who gave it to them. And then this works into this cyclical circle with like, okay, well, the Whisperborn, they have this ability to lift a secret from other people's minds, a, conf- a confessional, yeah. an ablative confessional. And now we're starting to get a, a cycle. We're starting to get a vehicle that a player can ride into a circle. Yeah, I love Have that. a good time. And then, you know, there's some mechanics alongside that, yeah. you know? But they had some other juice. Now, speaking of mechanics, some folks want to know how the magic system works. So for the magic system, we aren't departing too much from what's going to be presented in Project Black Flag. Uh, so I think that is more of a Project Black Flag Great. question. But for us, um, the the magic that is unique to our system is going to be involved with the secrets themselves. So when you give up a secret to the confessor or to one of the clerics of the Wandering Mother, you are giving up a secret. Like as soon as you speak it, it leaves your mouth, it becomes physical, and then the Whisperborn or the Confessor will take it from you in a script of paper. And then that becomes offerings for the Wandering Mother and ultimately for Ashlyn Rovena, the, the head mm-hmm. of the vineyard. That is what sort of defines like the magical system because these secrets, again, can be used as like components. They can be used as conduits. There's a lot of different ways that they can be used, and we're trying to mechanize these ideas narratively now, especially we're going to have to alter a lot of the stuff that we, we're doing to mirror and support and bring more to the table for the Black Flag system that we're going to be using. But ultimately, the narrative is really focused around secrets as far as magic or anything else that is unique to this I really game. love that, actually. It's it's so perfect for the setting, but also really subtle in certain ways. And um, I love it. I just love – oh, God, I still love that so much. Um, let's see. Well, I guess um, I can say Project Black Flag is going to really be two parts, and I think that's an, important for everybody to understand, right? Project Black Flag is a project code name for a larger series of ongoing efforts by Cobalt Press – one of which is a new core mechanic system that will be under an open license in which Vineyard will be using to develop. And those mechanics are available in its entirety. So it is 5e parallel. You can take a 5e character and run it in Project Black Flag. Uh, but it will also have a very unique Cobalt taste. So if you like Cobalt Press uh, and the way that we do certain things, I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised with some of the things we're working in, such as... Um, uh, the heritage system, right? Uh, lineage and heritage are going to be a big part of character creation. But in terms of magic, um, what we have said, and I can say, is that our current Deep Magic 2, which is you know almost done on Kickstarter here, is going to be forward compatible with Project Black Flag. So much of the magic system that you know and love will be in place uh, with some alterations dependent upon other mechanics, right? Because that's just how the magic system works. So it's not going to be too far from what you know. Hopefully it'll actually be better uh, and simpler and and uh, uh, provide some really cool additional options for both players and GMs in encounters and combat as well. Um, not all of that has been released necessarily in what those things look like. Uh, we are to answer the playtest question, rolling those out in playtest packets once a month from now until the Kickstarter. We have not announced a Kickstarter date, so I know I cannot tell you when that is. Um, and uh, each packet that drops will be a piece of the puzzle, I guess you could say, of Project Black Flag and what that book looks like. So um, the first playtest packet has been announced to release in February. No, I cannot give you a date. Um, And so just keep your eyes out. um, And that information has NDA been passed off to our vineyard friends, at least in what we have now available to them. And we will keep the 
our Vineyard friends up to date, um, and they will definitely be getting earlier previews than all of you. So I'm sorry, they're special, and we love them, and uh, they need it to finish the to finish this awesome book called The Vineyard Project. So um, there you go. Uh, there you have it. That I think I can uh, answer. This is actually uh, important um, because we're now partnered with Project Black Flag. Will we need to go back and rewrite and align new things? I kind of answered from my side, but anybody else can can chip in on that. Yeah, there's there's a good chunk. Like there's some things that are already that were done. Like when I said the Whisper Bone was done, <laughs> that's what I meant. It was done. It's not anymore because I'm have to sorry. I feel once guilty. <laughs> once you get a clear picture. No, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. It's just, you know, we gotta make sure it, it vibes with the good stuff. And as someone who's seen some of the uh playtest stuff, uh it's exciting stuff. And I, I yeah. want to build stuff. That cool. Okay, that makes me happy to hear. Yeah. Can I, I would like to talk about um, some of our mechanics that me and VJ have worked yeah. out, uh, who are some of these uh, lieutenants and also Ashlyn Ravenna uh, themselves. And this is something that we're talking about in 5e terms and just understanding that Cobalt Press has said for Project Black Flag, Project Black Flag will be sort of adjacent of 5e. So it'll be similar to what we're talking about, but there will be some changes being made. Jesus, I was talking in real life. Oh, <laughs> yeah, there you are. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there were um, okay. So two of the two of the big guys that I've been uh, working on is, of course, our big, our main big bad, um, Ashlyn, and of course the confessor, who is I like to describe as just uh, straight uh, Catholic guilt and uh, religious <laughs> trauma, but like it, it's pretty close. Like there's there's some Christian, yeah. <laughs> there's there's some like oh, Baptist yeah. religious trauma in there as well for my own personal brand. Yeah, um, yeah. As soon yeah. as I saw that draft from Kiana, I messaged Kiana and I was like, "You have a lot of religious trauma, don't you?" And she was like, "Actually, no. I just like hyper focused on it when I was in college and." <laughs> know learned a lot about wow. it so it's like oh okay yeah you're this is really great this this like this like feels yeah th- th- this feels like it comes from a place of trauma therefore making a very good art so i like this but go ahead vj yeah so okay wait how much of the vibe can i can i say uh about about the two characters like oh yeah you can yeah let's let's talk about it that's fine. everything yeah. sweet okay so uh, just to start off with the confessor, because I worked I worked on um, them more recently. Um, there were one of the one of the newer uh, I say newer. It definitely pulled on different uh, design elements from different abilities, but it's definitely like something on its own that we had. And hold on, I'm I'm pulling it up because I really just wanted to like actually um, point it out. Like we. Uh, Friday and I were talking about like this kind of um, confession box that like a a character might get stuck in if um, depending on like failing their save and having to like speak out some type of like thing and actually repent for it and maybe it doesn't have like a like a like a mechanical uh, consequence besides like letting them out of this this confession box but it does have like role playing implications. And I think we really carried that across both of these stat blocks of like, okay, we're going to have all this really cool like stuff that happens to them happen, like that happens to the people that they are actually attacking or like interacting with because um, Aslan doesn't really actually attack anybody if um, if they can help it. But it'll also have like potentially some serious role playing and social repercussions as well. And I don't think enough 
I don't think enough stat, enough uh, monster design does that, like mixes in that uh, serious role play repercussions along with the mechanics. Um, but one second, I have this stat back up so I can tell you the yeah. Give us spill the beans. Give us okay. the deets. Okay. Okay. Mixing so. those two can be hard though, like because yeah. oftentimes you want to be. There's a fine line to walk. Mm-hmm. But like I, I know your pain. Sorry, I'm just trying to fill some space for you. Like, <laughs> pulling that stuff up. Go ahead. No worries. Thank you. <laughs> um. So. We specifically have this uh, recharge ability called uh, Repent. And so uh, the Confessor points an accusatory finger at a creature and screams at it to repent. You've got a pretty high DC to hit a 24, which, I mean, by the time you're facing these lieutenants, you should should be able to feasibly hit a 24. You do take, like, a bunch of uh, psychic damage, regardless if you pass or fail. But at the end of that next turn, um, you are... There's very much like a like you're forced to verbally repent for some misdeed. And that can mean like a lot of things like there's no clear like, well, we're going to give guidance to the DMs of what like verbally repenting could look like for a misdeed. So like they can um, one be upfront with the players like, hey, um, start thinking about some things you might have done in your past and also just letting them know like this is going to be a, a, a heavy part of this campaign so that. People are safe and comfortable, you know, consent and gaming and whatnot. Um, But it's definitely in the notes we make it. It's definitely going to be a vehicle to like have them if the player can't pick or have them roll on a table or something for like the nature of of a misdeed they did and potentially have it like tied to something that happened in in another character's backstory or something like that, that will maybe force something out into the open, which will then just cause more conflict. And then if you survive your interaction with the confessor and you move on to like, you know, the actual big boss that can have like more repercussions there and more threads to pull on to maybe make a deal that you previously might not have considered had the party not started to kind of fracture because mm. of what happened there. If I can point out, we do plan and I have for every single adventure that we're writing to be a part of the book, there are secrets that are being used for backgrounds, backstories, um, and mechanical uses within the overall plot structure in order to get people to sort of buy into what this sort of story is we're providing a ton of secrets to either give out to your players for players to pick i would caution you against showing them the entire chart uh, at once for instance but yeah you're gonna have the tools to be able to navigate this sort of storytelling if you choose to do that are we going to get any teasers to go along with some of the playtest material coming out with Project Black Flag? And I know, you know, you've got some things coming down the pipeline, like, I don't know, a Kickstarter Friday. So can we expect some teasers of some stuff? Yeah, I am very interested in bringing forward the adventure that we're writing uh, to highlight the Confessor. Uh, and the Confessor, if you need uh, your Dommy Mommy fix, if you're listening to this podcast, it's the uh, winged individual that you saw in you know, when you clicked on this podcast, uh, that is the Confessor, as uh, depicted by Yorsi Hernandez, designed by Kiana Shaw, and the mechanics developed by uh, mostly VJ and then me just in the back, like, hey, what if we did, Um, you know, that's my official job title. But uh, for the package that we want to release, I think we are going to wait a little, maybe till like March or April, maybe we'll put it in the Kickstarter launch to have this one-shot adventure uh, to... To sort of sample, I really want to release it with our Kickstarter, but it's really going to come between, uh, it's really going to be determined by whether or not Cobalt Press will be able to share with us enough about Black Flag at that point to be able to sort of, right to be able to sort of uh, launch it, okay. but yeah. we'll, we'll see. 
right. Well, then, um, that tells you a little bit. Let's see. Um, I want to miss anybody's questions. Now, I have a question. How much How much are we revealing here, Friday? Like, how many beans can we spill? Um, as far as I'm concerned, like, the only reason we had uh, adhere to any NDA is because... Uh, okay, so so Black, so Black Flag's going to be like, we'll, we'll put that off the table, but we can spill all kinds of beans. And speaking of, uh, we have somebody that has yeah. just joined us. Yeah, so... Mm-hmm. Hi. Good evening. <laughs> Good evening. Kimchi, if you could introduce yourself uh, for the recorded podcast. Hello, I am Legal Kimchi. I run a YouTube channel where I do video essays, uh, primarily about uh, TTRPGs and geek-related subjects, although I venture out occasionally. Um, and I am a writer on The Vineyard. Wonderful. Uh, Kimchi, I wanted to pose this question to you because we were just talking about some of the other lieutenants and some of the other monster design that we have for this game. And I wanted to talk to you about how contracts work, how they're conceived, the concept of them, how they will narratively work, and also a little bit about your NPC, if you could. Ooh, now, are we asking, like, contracts in general? Because I can go into a little bit about... Uh, for those who may not know, I am an actual contracts attorney. So this is, <laughs> that's my day job. So my understanding of the contracts comes from both the professional and narrative. Um, Let's dive into it and how they work for the vineyard and like what is the goal of an organization like the vineyard when they're doling out these contracts? Well, the, the goal of an organization like the vineyard is kind of like a real corporation, uh, but less evil. Um <laughs> it's it's a circumstance where um the contract that is engaged in is uh sort of a monkey's paw i i don't know if that's Mm. kind of be careful what you wish for type thing where on paper it will provide you with what you need but in reality do you fully understand the price do you fully understand the consideration to use the legal terminology um when when attorneys are talking about uh, contracts, and this is both in real world negotiation and in the vineyard, what you're trying to do is to get the best deal for your side. And in the business world, we always have attorneys representing both sides. In fact, it is unethical in the United States to have a contract negotiation where only one side has an attorney at the negotiation. If I walk into a negotiation and the other side has their attorney and we don't have, or well, not using me as an example, but if like my company were to get into a negotiation, the other side brought their attorney and our side didn't, that attorney would have to leave the phone call because it's considered an unfair negotiation and unethical for them to continue. I've actually had that circumstance happen where people have come into a meeting. It's like, oh, you don't have your attorney. Well, we got to end the meeting. Good night. <laughs> um, so the reason for that is because it is so easy to get caught up the little details because there sometimes there are catches. There are things that have meaning that aren't readily apparent. So it's something where with the vineyard, well, they have the solicitor general and you do not. <laughs> You have to be cautious about the contracts that you're entering into because you may be giving away a little bit more than you imagined. I love that. And I would say that one of the probably most insidious things about it is that you are bargaining with your humanity in a lot of these contract deals. And one of the things I did want to point out for our listeners and people that are considering buying the vineyard when we launch on Kickstarter, pre-ordering or whatever, 
is that we're going to have these examples for you, these boilerplate contracts. We're going to have a section of the book dedicated to this is how you would design a contract if you want to do something outside of the standard boilerplate. And then we're also going to have some examples within the adventures of contracts, not only happening for your characters, if you want it to be, or for just being peripherally involved in a contract in some way, because so much of it is involved with the have and the have nots and being able to fulfill your end of the bargain for the vineyard. And it's a little bit of a, a delicate balance, if I may, because there's the, to me, uh, as a dungeon master or as a game master, um, there is a sort of three levels that a contract needs to work on in a game. The first level is what it seems like in the beginning, where we want this, you have this, let's make a deal. The second level is sort of the trap that the vineyard is trying to pull on you, the thing that you don't realize that they're going to get. And then the third level, the way the players get out of it, you know, if they figure out that loophole, because you don't want to make something ironclad. You know, because nothing is in reality, right? That's not how actual contracts work. There's always a way to weasel out of it, which is if you ever read a contract in the real world, you wonder, it's like, why do they have like eight different words right in order that mean basically the same thing? Because somebody tried to weasel out of it using one of those eight words. <laughs> and so the reality of it is, is you as a game master need to balance the gotcha moment with the, ah, the players have won moment because mm -hmm. otherwise they don't want to engage. Why, why would they want to play this game? You know? right. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think anyone on this call is aware of this, but all of my campaigns I run I always end up with an arc that's a legal drama. I don't know. I just can't <laughs> help myself. Um, <laughs> we end up with some crappy, uh, you know, stick of all version of a court case to handle something like that. And I've realized two things. First of all, I should never invite kimchi to one of my campaigns <laughs> it'll be eviscerated <laughs> secondly uh i have a subclass i need to pitch to friday for this uh oh look at that product. exciting <laughs> also uh, if... a joke by the way kimchi if you ever want to play with me absolutely down you're a joy <laughs> i'll take you up on that um i, I think I... the other question friday was uh about the npc yeah let's talk about the solicitor general how'd you conceive them and uh how do you think mechanically you're bringing something very unique and fun and rage-inducing um, to the table? Well, to me, the Solicitor General is, in a way, uh, a living embodiment of the law. And how I come from an old traditional fantasy uh, background where, you know, law and chaos the constant struggle between those two, you know, that Michael Moorcock, was it Piers Anthony, old school fantasy mm -hmm. trope. And I really enjoy that where it's not like evil or good, it's law and chaos and both law and chaos can be good or evil. And so the Solicitor General to me is sort of the embodiment of the law taken to an extreme to destroy people mm. like law as a manipulation, like everything you think of negatively when you think of lawyers right? <laughs> I don't know what that says about me and possible self-hatred or whatever, but, <laughs> but you know, uh... at least, at least you're being paid to go through this therapy with us as a writer, right? I wanted to be an actor. <laughs> um, but um, 
so the solicitor general is like outside of what we perceive of even as a person because they're they're kind of like the borg they're trying to strive a pinnacle of pure law removes other aspects of who they may have used to be at some point and so i wanted to take that to an extreme to the point where they're like mm. they look like they they don't hold that sort of form because that's irrelevant the law is what is relevant and so I, how much can i get into with uh the solution do i spill the beans on this <laughs> yeah yeah go ahead the, you okay. can talk about the unique mechanics around the solicitor general yeah that's fine. so um the one mechanic that i thought of for this one uh that i got giddy about and kind of everything else kind of comes from it is um the solicitor general's ability to use their word as law the mechanic here is that during an encounter if you're trying to actually fight the solicitor general which i do not recommend <laughs> um then they can make a proclamation of law a simple statement that is incontrovertible and the rest of the encounter has to factor that in so if the solicitor general sees a bunch of fighters come up or warriors and they all draw their swords then the solicitor general can state as a word of law metals cannot touch me now all of your swords mm -hmm. are useless so how do you fight when your swords are useless well now the party has to think of how can i break this word of law through a technicality because technicalities are how you break the law <laughs> finding little loopholes finding little ways to get around the statement which is true and thus subvert the intent of it oh i love that so. And you know what? Think about it. How many times have your players actually done that at the table? Like the, the, the strategies my players will come up with to like get around stuff. And I love that there's actually maybe a mechanic and a, a figure that actually puts into like physicality that idea that my word is law. It's just so cool. Because like any group has those players who just like, well, technically this should still work. This isn't, this is an encounter where mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm. where the whole point is the game master can be like, well, technically, yeah, that would kind of work. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> And in, in, the, in this example that Kimchi just gave, then the solution, the technical solution would be if you wrap up your swords, cloth or whatever, and then you just bludgeon the Solicitor General, then that's a technical way around that because the metal is not touching the Solicitor General. It's it's actually kind of wonderful because it like what we're, we are building together actually basically says that our players are really smart. So let's give them really a really smart, tricky space to like exist in for their characters. And I, I just love that. I love allowing my players to to stretch uh, what they know and love, you know. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Uh, Friday, are there other lieutenants we want to spoil? Do you want me to spoil mine? Yeah, sure. We can talk about the, uh, the uh, surgeon. Or the arms dealer, whichever. Whichever, yeah, whichever. Whichever we um, land on, yeah. So I mentioned that my lieutenant was already, like the, the character I was creating was tied to the dark market. Um, I love this idea that maybe there was a lieutenant who is surprise um using technicalities and the system as it is to benefit in multiple ways um and i was um i've always been really i don't know why drawn to the kind of evil doctor um type so like i loved um what was it? Uh, Dr. Blight from Captain Planet. I was always really drawn to, um, I loved uh, Captain, what is it? Captain Poison? What is her name? Um, yeah, Dr. Poison. Dr. Poison from Wonder Woman. Uh, these kind of doctor uh, builds that are super corrupt. Like they're, It's like the doctor you don't want to go to. And that's literally how I pitched this to <laughs> to Friday. I was like, I want the doctor that like you don't want to go to, but you don't have a choice. It's like a military doctor. <laughs> 
<laughs> right? So, um, and it's, it's all right. And so, um, I, I, I wanted this character, but this character is playing Vineyard's system in such a way that they are living two lives. They are actually playing this surgeon that is really one of the major sources for being able to remove the waste sickness. Uh, and in doing so in that trade of, of maybe it's a content warning, a limb that needs to be removed. Um, maybe it is um, a fact that an eye has rotted away and you need a replacement. The surgeon can fix you up with that. But you don't get to keep whatever they take. That is the trade. This this infected piece of you is now theirs to own. And what they do with it is resell it on in on the dark market as weaponry. So there's a possibility you could make a trade, cure your sickness, get a cool, who knows, a uh, 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 mechanical arm or a uh, new piece for yourself that's really cool. And then you end up in the dark market and a piece of you is for sale. Your arm has been turned into a new gun that uses the darkness of, of the rot and the waste sickness, uh, as, as Friday said, as these weapons that create chaos in the system. It breaks it. And so because of the way the dark market functions, nobody uses their real name. And uh, so the Neither does the surgeon. Uh, why would they? Uh, this is their secret side business. And um, right now we're calling them the arms dealer uh, because they're basically selling weaponry. Um, trademark pending. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so I there's a lot to that character. Um, and there will be some really cool mechanics for ways that players can seek out the surgeon uh, and 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 make make trade happen. Like I said, I'm working a lot with a, a currency system and some fun things there of like how how does trade work when your gold is has no value. Wonderful. I am super excited about uh, that NPC and the rest of the NPCs mentioned, of course. Um, my near and dear to my heart, my baby, um, <laughs> VJ, before we move on to the next question. Let's talk about, I'm not calling you baby VJ, I'm talking about Ashlyn Ravenna. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, we could talk about it, um, you know, off the off the stage. But um, so Ashlyn Ravenna, let's talk about what you and I have worked out for Ashlyn. Okay, I want to say that what I'm about to say is not just because, you know, I am the designer for for uh, Ashlyn, but I, uh, I I genuinely mean it. I don't think I've seen, um, and this could also just be me, like, not reading all of the monster manuals that I own as well. Like, there's a bunch. Um, any or barely any, if at all, um, stat blocks that are really more dedicated to, like, not doing violence <laughs> towards anybody and more so trying to turn whatever encounter it is into a negotiation of sorts. Um, which is very much the kind of, not even the kind of, very much the vibe for when you actually go in and uh, at any point meet Ashlyn, either in their uh, actual lair or it's, I feel, I, uh, Friday, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like it's unlikely that you meet Ashlyn outside of like yeah. their literal base, but I don't know that what is the they're going to do. Um, yeah. You know, it could be like a like an actual Curse of Strahd thing where Strahd pops up and starts taunting people and you can't really do anything about it. Um, but either way, at every, I feel like at every point when we were working on what to do with Ashlyn as far as like abilities went, it was very much a like, hey, Ashlyn was much ra would much rather de-escalate a situation and make it a conversation of like, hey, come work for me um, or, you know, make a deal with me. Do this, do that. And while there still are obviously like offensive things in here. So like, for example, there's a, so there is like a binding strike that does like 
is Ashlyn doing actual damage, but we more than not have other things like a spell reflection, which um, if Ashlyn passes a saving throw or spell attack misses them, they can choose a, the they can choose to target other creatures, including the spellcaster with said spells. And it just really one, I think it allows a lot of like uh, battlefield control, really focusing on more of a defensive aspect and de-escalation. And two, I don't think. I don't think there's enough room in like big boss battles for conversations to happen uh, and, and for good reason, right? Like sure. Maybe you let the BBG do the monologue or maybe you don't let your DM do that and you just attack them right away. But for the most part, it's there's very little like back and forth social uh, interaction happening during that. And Ashlyn is definitely built for that to actually be something that happens and for combat to like maybe even take a lull in between like, um, so maybe you get into this combat and you're fighting for a couple rounds and then it's like, let's actually take a breather and stop. And then maybe for some reason the combat picks up. Like it makes sense encounter wise for that to happen. Yeah, the uh, narrative that I've written for Ashlyn is, uh, and just to quote some of it, which will probably get edited and like refined, but Ashlyn Ravenna is not interested in killing the party of player characters, but does not interfere if they're lieutenants. Their majesty is ambivalent to the life or death of any mortal. They are above interacting directly with the party and prefer to utilize lieutenants to make statements on their behalf. Rarely are they seen. Therefore, the focus of role-playing Ashlyn is not on displaying them directly, but on displaying their influence. And one of the major things that happens uh, for this combat, if you end up like at the end game for the vineyard and you are confronting Ashlyn, one of the great things about it is that like, if you confront Ashlyn too early, they're not going to kill you. They have other things that they'd like to do. They have four outcomes that they are looking for in combat. And that may expand. We may make it more robust. But as of right now, Ashlyn is looking for total party assimilation into the vineyard, meaning that everyone signs a contract and joins the vineyard, or they're looking for the party to kill itself by converting some of them in the middle of combat, or it's looking at uh, killing only some of them and absorbing the rest into the vineyard, or the final option, if they can't negotiate they can't convince that they may want to work for the vineyard or it's their only option. They might be able to convince people that there's a bigger threat mm. than the vineyard and that destroying the vineyard looses the valve on what they're holding back, which in this case is unspeakable horrors that the vineyard sort of keeps bottled up. And it's one of the reasons that the vineyard is in power because it has used that sort of as a negotiation tactic with the city in order to gain power as an organization because they are the lesser of the evils presented. And we are going to include really big conversation trees, uh, and that's the easiest way for me to explain it, but inspirational like dialogue that you can use uh, for Ashlyn sort of negotiating with the party at every step. I think that's a big part of the design that we're working into this because it is such an unusual combat encounter or such an unusual encounter altogether that I think providing GMs with more tools to be able to actually flesh that out and get the ball rolling and stuff like that is very important. Sometimes GMs just need one or two things on the page in order to get going. But if someone needs the whole script, we'll provide the whole script for what Ashlyn is going to say to people to get them to stop attacking. Um. <clears throat> I feel like we've answered pretty much all of the questions that have been put forward thus far in our question chat, at least to some degree and in uh, a range in which we can actually do um, with honesty. So um, I have uh, – I always like to ask this question at the end of any kind of interview, which is what is um, what is a nugget of you 
that you have put into this? Like what is a little Easter egg uh, that we could give people that's like your inspiration, your thing, something you've pulled from your life that might just plop right in this? I know um, Kimchi kind of mentioned something already, but, you know, it could be bizarre and off the wall. I was about to say, here, you know what? I'll, br- I'll break that. I'll break that egg open, that Easter, that Easter egg open. Um, the black market um, is actually based on Shakedown Street. Uh, for all of you deadheads out there, Grateful Dead fans, uh, Shakedown Street is the pop-up market that happens before all of the concerts where all the deadheads sell gear. And most of the time, it can be t-shirts, it can be food, it can be, it's a pop-up market that happens in the parking lot. And uh, it's known as Shakedown Street because it said that you can shake out anything you need on Shakedown Street. Um, and most of the time, deals on Shakedown Street, as you can imagine, when you have a lot of deadheads and hippies around, are not always done in cash. Um, and so I... Uh, being a deadhead myself, the black market is is my inspiration for Shakedown Street, uh, from Shakedown Street. I think one of the major things that I wanted front and center when I was initially developing this character, uh, who sort of developed over time as my personal identity evolved, Ashton Rovena is a non-binary oh. character who can change their gender at will to sort of reflect uh, what they believe that someone would desire seeing in order to help negotiations move along uh, a bit smoother. So for Ashlyn, we have provided like a masculine and a feminine form uh, that I think we presented in in some places. Uh, most people have just seen the feminine form. For Ashlyn, we have a masculine form as well um, done by Yorsi. But I think for the most part, the interesting thing about Ashlyn, when I was first developing them, was I was kind of looking into the general lore of like succubus, incubus, and to realize that they are canon according to the Bible. Uh, if you want to use that as your first lore book, the the Bible kind of indicates that they are non-binary things, um, and that is how I've just placed them into the vineyard. And how Ashlyn came up was being this succubus slash incubus had gathered people's secrets over time and then after however many years according to the lore and the mythos that we'll put in the book um, they sort of manifested their own destiny as the new undead god of secrets and that is where they're moving towards within the plot of the vineyard rpg is they are attempting to ascend once Mm -hmm. more into godhood put on that mantle yeah it started with queerness anybody else have like little it's of, of inspiration that are unique or maybe not just blatant. So I have always had a little special love of that investigative journalist style end of the spectrum. Uh, I think movies like Spotlight, people who are trying to reveal the darkness amongst all that. And this dichotomy between uh, how we often perceive of mass media these days versus that investigative trying to get something done more uh something good done and how you can use stories and language um to actually present the same information in such different ways and there is a beauty in the truth of what you can with the ink that goes to the page and there is a beauty in the thoroughness to which you can bend it around a tree branch and have it lie a beauty i would say and that comes down into some of the creatures and ideas i had because if we think of the vineyard as uh, partially a publishing <laughs> house technically speaking i thought that idea fit quite nicely and I, I pitched a couple ideas connected to that uh at various stages i'm sure it'll come through somewhere in the final design 
I will point out that Sebastian Yue, one of our writers, did develop a, a printing press uh, that is sort of controlled Ooh. by the vineyard to push out propaganda and things of that nature and to control the rumors within the city exactly. and the, the story. So that does exist as part of like the vineyard storyline if you choose to utilize Verity Fiducia, the editor-in-chief of The Grapevine. I love that. That's very cool. Anybody else? <laughs> Calling it the grapevine. Grape <laughs> any um, any any other thoughts, Easter eggs, uh, fun tidbits we should let people know about inspirations and such? Uh, yeah. So um, <laughs> um, okay. So we haven't fully fleshed this out. It's just kind of in its outline form right now. So there is an adventure that comes with um, uh, the confessor, obviously, uh, like back at uh her lair and whatnot with various like uh guardians. From, yeah, let's, um, let's talk about that. <laughs> let's talk about yeah. it. Let's talk yeah, about there's, there's, there's this one place that's going to be like the lounge of lust, and we were kind of basing off of like wrath, lust, greed. Um, what the next one was sloth. Like you know, no wait, it was lust, wrath, greed, and treachery. That's and right. like, yeah, we while we haven't fleshed it out, we like have had like bullet points, and I, I know when we like the parts that we have actually fleshed out. So like. I'm a queer guy. Um, I didn't learn that until until like high school, and then I my parents was pretty pretty sheltered kid in a lot of places, and then got to college and kind of went a little buck wild <laughs> around like that queerness and just being um, the kind of lustful guy that I couldn't really be around my parents and in high school, and so I just like because when you're interacting with the pleasure, then just know that it comes from like a place of like oh hey I had this whole like queer wild experience for um like a year and a half before like i collected myself that's so much the tower of atonement adventure oh it's so fun i'm i'm super excited for people to play the adventure that'll probably be our preview adventure that we drop whenever we do drop a preview adventure it'll be the tower of atonement which is the uh not necessarily the confrontation with the confessor because you don't necessarily want to fight the confessor but you are protected you're on a protection mission or for other reasons, you might have other motivations for being there, but you are escorting uh, someone who had to, who was called to confess to Astilius. Go ahead, Kimchi. Well, two things that I wanted to point out. Number one, for anyone out there who might think that having a printing press, mm-hmm. medieval fantasy game, is anachronistic, metal movable type printing presses like the one that mm-hmm. Gutenberg invented existed in Korea over 200 years prior to Gutenberg's invention of that printing press. So we're talking about the 13th century, like 1232, they have printed books from movable metal type. So 100% printing presses existed during that time frame. Mm -hmm. Number one. (laughs) Just want to clear the air. History is something that I am extraordinarily passionate about. And it always bothers me when people say, that's anachronistic. No, it's not. Grenades existed (laughs) during that time. Don't even don't get me started. Um, this has been Kimchi from PBS. <laughs> if you want to have a video about the history of leather armor and its uses in the Middle Ages, I have a video on that on my YouTube channel. Anyway, um, the second thing is like we, we've all talked about this a little bit, um, and and Friday you mentioned it previously. The therapy session that is creating for DTRPGs. It is a hundred percent true with the Solicitor General. Um, a lot of it is autobiographical, uh, with the solicitor general being a solicitor who used to work on cases and then fell on corrupt judges and magistrates jaded with the, um, 
disregard of the actual law that happens when you are practicing the law. That really did happen to me. Um, I, I've been in, I, I used to do trial work and I was in these court cases where if we were to just go about looking at the letter of the law, easy slam dunk. And then I'd come away with like, how, how did that happen? What, what just happened here? Clear violations. Um, and the more you read about uh, the American legal system and how it operates in history, the more you understand that a Supreme Court case is not as final as you might think it is. A legal decision or a way that the law is supposed to go is not exactly what you think it is. And the anger that can sometimes build when you experience that firsthand is sort of the inspiration for the Solicitor General, uh, sort of an embodiment of my own frustrations, the way the American legal system works. <laughs> um, so it, it's interesting that you talk about that, like, you know, yeah. welcome to the therapy <laughs> session. 100%. It was, it's, it's a therapy session. It was, it was kind of, exercising the demons i'm from texas sorry uh (laughs) and um it's been it's been just a joy to uh Mm. to put it down i have to agree yeah it's that's actually a really great way to put it we've all talked about like you know confessor clearly has you know some of our religious trauma in it and you know my personal uh you know body uh shaming issues of the past have come out in this this doctor character who augments their body like there's there's each pieces of us and i think that's one of the things one that friday has done great is like bring a team of people together that are not only awesome at what they do um but are willing to put this level of like love and and effort into something um that's going to make it awesome um there's like a little piece of each of us in it yeah and just as a, I suppose, a final note, um, I appreciate anyone listening to this to find out more about the Vineyard RPG. If you end up buying the Vineyard RPG, know that uh, we pay our contributors fair wages. Um, I think that is incredibly important in an industry which often thrives on predatory practices against freelancers and does not pay them a living wage. But everything that we are trying to build with these products is a healthier community. People can talk about difficult subjects and role play through difficult subjects with consent and respect for one another. One of the things that really drew me to this project was actually the level of care we were taking, even in some of the more difficult topics, right? Um, And providing space for everybody in this book to be able to use it and play it and tell their story, which is kind of awesome and unique, something that's, and and fair wages, right? Uh, That's also, yay. (laughs) We love that. Um, Thank you, Friday, for inviting us. It's yeah, it's a little astounding how like a big of a deal that is in this industry. Yep. How hard it is to truly, find, uh, you know. Like I said, I had just finished working on a project with a few companies, and uh, when Friday made the pitch, I was like, "You're not like pulling my leg, right? Like for real?" <laughs> I was like, "Yeah." I was like, "Okay, I am on board." Um, so if uh, Friday's doing a very good job of helping us uh, feed ourselves and our cats, and um, and, and being an awesome like process as well it's been really nice to work with everybody and occasionally repairing our refrigerators because <laughs> yeah, mine just went no. up I just <laughs> oh i love it um now i think it's important to say friday can you give us some information about maybe when this kickstarter is available for people to back like what can we expect from your timeline so right now we are scheduled for april 3rd uh probably sometime in the morning pacific uh so by 10 a.m eastern it'll be live april 3rd monday and I believe we'll run it until the first Monday in May. Um, And that'll give you two pay periods in (laughs) case you missed the first one and you want to back us. The more you back us, honestly, the more stretch goals uh, that we can unlock and the bigger we can make the book. Important to me, um, 
that we put as much as possible into the book. We have more adventure. We have more tools for you to enjoy. And we are definitely looking at this as something that we want to make the best book possible for anyone just to read and then also play with. And we want to make everything actionable and like easy to use and like really create memorable experiences for everyone who picks this book up. Well, we have come to the end of our questions. And I feel like that is a really beautiful way to wrap Friday. So um, take us away. Yeah, thank you so much to everyone who is listening. And if you haven't already, please click the backer kit link or our Kickstarter link and put your, put in your email. Take a look at our preview PDF at the very least. Um, you'll get that if you sign up for our backer kit. And then you can just take a look at, you know, the high level quality stuff that we're putting in here. And that's what we really expect to put into the rest of the book. Um, and thank you so much for your time and um, everyone's energy. Have a great night, everybody.